With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey, how are you? I didn't have my computer hooked up. I've only been doing this a year. Good morning. What a Monday and what a day. United States against Wales, 2 o'clock. Can't wait. We got Alexi Lawless from Qatar, Qatar, whatever the heck you want to say, as the United States gets ready to open up World Cup play. I'm just telling you, and I'll keep telling you, and I won't stop telling you, what a great week of sports this is. You're going to hear it all week. Seriously, you're going to hear it the entire week from me. Uh, Yesterday, a lot of NFL to get to, but one of the more popular things on my uh, Twitter feed was my boy Johnny Cougar Mellencamp. Now, the Coug decides that he's going to sit. The Coug uh, is one of those guys that came from nothing, made a ton of scratch. I mean, made more scratch than he has since and decided that, well, I don't like the country. So he goes from a guy that, you know, we all want to get excited about. He's the American dream. He's the American freaking dream, this guy, right? So next thing you know, he decides, yeah, I don't like this country. I ain't standing. I won't stand. And he's done this other places. Like, he does this a lot. Now, do I care about it? I don't know. I mean, if I'm going to worry about the Coug, uh, it feels like I got better things to worry about. But I got to tell you, I've had enough about dudes from dudes that have made gazillions of dollars. I mean gazillions off this country and just can't stand this country. This dude, now he's an American story. He came from nothing. He did. He came from nothing. Zero. I mean, he was born in a small town and he lived in a small town. And he breathes in a small town. He breathes in a small town. He likes sucking chili dogs. Sucking chili dogs, this guy. Outside. Outside the Tasty Freeze. Stand up for the anthem. I got to tell you something else before I get into all this. I'm watching Get Up. How soft, and I know I'm screaming here. I feel like Dan Orvlowski. I'm just yelling to be yelling. But how soft. Look at Coog right here. What are you doing? That's the Coog. Eating his popcorn. Sitting ahead and paid for a ticket and, and, oh, geez, who knows what. Made more money than God, but he can't stand for the anthem. You know, I, I, what has the Coug really given to our society? Yeah, he did a farm aid. That was really good, so I digress. I've just had enough of these guys. They make millions. Guy put on my Twitter, uh, uh, my Twitter feed here. He goes, hey, Dan, that guy go to Cuba, see how he likes it. If he doesn't like what the United States is all about. That's really always the answer on here. It really is. But enough about the Coug. I, I call him the Coog because I didn't know who he was in college. A bunch of girls that I went to high school with came up to me one day. Um, I was walking home from class, and they're like, hey, Dan, we're going to John Cougar's house. And I go, uh, who, who's John Cougar? Huh? Wh- who's John Cougar? I didn't know. He turned out to be John Mellencamp. Wingnut says, I have pictures of Trump talking during the national anthem. There you go, man. Okay. 
Mike Milena says, absolute piece of garbage. He and Springs are the most self-indulgent frauds in music. They act like they're bosses, but understand nothing about real blue-collar family. Well, I'm not going to go into the last part. But uh, anyway, so there you go. It's a good time today. All right, we got a lot to get to over the weekend. Man, did I get blanked off listening to Dan Orvlosky, Ryan Clark, that complete fraud, and Rex Ryan whining about Zach Wilson. We're going to get into that in a minute. But first, Colts fans, I got to tell you, I said this last week, and I'll say it again. I thought the Colts were crisper, sharper. I like that Jeff Saturday is the head coach. Jeff Saturday won me over by starting Matt Ryan, going against the owner and the general manager, and starting Matt Ryan. Okay. But they were the same team. They couldn't score. They ended up getting 24 last week. That's great. And they won because number 58 for kid named Butler didn't fall on the ball for the Raiders. All right, they won. That's great. But this week, same Colts, 17-16, they lose. Great defense. What does same Colts mean? Great defense. Great, great defense. And I always use two analogies. Backups show you why they are backups eventually. And married, divorced men, this is one of my mother's friends told her this, will always eventually show you why some woman divorced them. Those two things. Well, same thing with the Colts' offensive line. The more you see that offensive line, the more they're going to show you they're among the worst in the league. Don't listen to whatever anybody says in the national news. We know here in Indy it's one of the worst lines in the country. Now, this is the interesting thing about Jeff Saturday. I'm watching television this morning, getting ready for the show. Nobody's really mentioning the Colts, right? Last week, they got a lucky win, but a win. Everybody's mentioning the Colts. Everybody's talking about Jeff Saturday. Everybody's ripping on Bill Cowher or praising Bill Cowher for what he said, but they're talking about the Colts. You lose, nobody's interested. That's just the way it is. I try to tell people all the time, you can tell me about anything about an NFL team. You can tell me they got cap space. You can tell me they got great draft choices. You can tell me here in Indy, the agents say that our general manager is the best. The media says that our general manager is the best. You can tell me all that stuff, all of it, but it don't matter. One thing matters, winning. That's it. That's all. Jalen Hurts is a football god. He's a genius. Jalen Hurts decided to be that big kid in Pop Warner that was going to run it when he needed to, pass it when he wanted to, do whatever the heck it is that he needed to do to get his team to win. So, now, they move to 9-1. and one. Nine good. Good for them. Nick Sirianni's all mad because the coach, Frank Wright, got fired. Nick Sirianni, you're smart. You and Eberflus were smart. You should have been fired. Everybody on the Colts staff should have been fired a few years ago when Andrew Luck walked off uh, after a preseason game. He walked off not because of toxic masculinity, not because, no, he walked off because he knew his career wasn't going anywhere with the current regime. They were too soft. He didn't like to be coached soft. Don't get me started. That's like, that and the brawl are just stories that I get tired of. Anyway, Jets. So I'm watching these three idiots on TV. Is there any group of people in sports softer and with less sack than former and current NFL players? I'm listening to Orvlosky, and I get it. He's got to talk over people. I get it. But the whining that he is doing because Zach Wilson was asked in a press conference, did you let the defense down? 
And Zach Wilson said no, and he walked off. Well, you got to fall on the sword. You're going to lose the locker room. Everybody there is going to hate. Shut up. How soft are NFL players and NFL former players? Look, they're tough guys physically. But I'm not talking about physically. I'm talking about the more important one, mentally. He's going to lose the locker room, Orflowski said. And Ryan Clark said, well, the defense is going to get mad at How soft are you guys if you're going to get mad about that? So Zach Wilson, yeah, he's blanked off after the game. He gets asked a question he doesn't want to answer. He's like, yeah, no. And these idiots, and I understand it. Look, I've been on those things. You got to say stuff. I get it. But my God, every perceived little slight, every perceived little word that doesn't go exactly. NFL players, former players lose their mind. Oh, my God, he's going to lose a lot. Man, when I played it in here, you say whatever the hell you want. Let's go. Ryan Clark's up there. Wow. He got so upset because uh, Sage Steele didn't have the same politics as him. So Ryan Clark, I'm not working. These dudes are the softest, whiniest, biggest babies on television and in sports. Pay attention to it next time. It's horrendous, these guys. Or Vlasky, well, here's what I got to do. Shut up. You stepped out of the end zone. How'd that go with your teammates? Just shut up. Anyway, walk off with five seconds to go. Punt return. Gives Bill Belichick, the genius, a win over the Jets. Now, having said all that, man, Zach Wilson was horse bleep. Woo, was Zach Wilson bad. Son of a biscuit maker was Zach Wilson bad. I mean, listen to this numbers. You don't even get these numbers in the modern NFL. Nine for 22, 75 yards, 35 yards rushing total. I'm sorry, they had 59 yards rushing total. Uh, Mac Jones at least threw for 199, and New England had 99 yards rushing. Jones threw for 198, they had 99 yards rushing. But both teams stink. But again, here it is, AFC East, uh, there's your winner, and everybody moves up a notch. And the Jets really don't fall. They're still in a wild card hunt. And now all of a sudden, don't look now, but Belichick, again, has his team in playoff contention. We'll see whether they fold. This game surprised me. Now I got to tell you, the Vikings on a seven-game win streak. Dallas is that team that you're like, man, they're going to the Super Bowl. Man, they can't win a game. Did Dallas yesterday put the entire NFL on notice? Of course not. They won 40 to 3. They beat the living heck out of a now 8 and 2 Vikings team. But did they put him on notice? No, because you know what happens with Dak Prescott and the Cowboys. No, you don't know what happens with Dak Prescott and the Cowboys because they could lose next week and they'll stink again. They lost last week to one of the worst teams in football, the Green Bay Packers, and they stunk. Now they're great. Explain it to me. I don't know, but I do know this. That Micah Parsons, wow. Give him whatever he wants. Just sign him to a lifetime deal. Give him the franchise. Here's the deal in football, all right? So I'm watching the game. Game starts, Micah Parsons chases down Kirk Cousins' strip sack. But the uh, the Minnesota Vikings hang on. The Minnesota Vikings only give up three. The Minnesota Vikings get the ball. They go down the field. And this is where football just drives me nuts. Like, we all get it. Play calling is hard. We understand it, right? It's easy to call a play from our living room. We all get that. We get it. Okay, fine. All right. 
But you get down by the goal line after driving, and you don't give the ball to Darwin Cook, and you're throwing these jump ball passes. You don't give the ball to Cook, so you get a field goal. And I told a friend of mine, live bet right now, Dallas. Because the way you beat a good team is you go score, you get ahead. They didn't, probably didn't matter anyway, the way the game went. But I got to tell you, it's unbelievable. They don't give the ball to Darwin Cook, the Delvin Cook, whatever the hell his name is. Uh, it's just like the Colts. Colts got inside the five. They gave it to Jonathan Taylor once. Colts fans were like, well, you know, the run game was going in the second half. I don't care where the run game's going in the second half. You give it to him at least twice inside the five. He'll get you five yards. Uh, I hate being the smartest person alive. It's hard. It's a burden. It used to be the dumbest person alive, but now I got a show. So what are you going to do? Anyway, 151 yards rushing. Let me go through some things with you. Teams that ran the ball a little bit uh, the other day, at least the ones I'm talking about, 16 carries, 86 yards for Jalen Hurts. 99 yards rushing as opposed to 35 yards rushing. uh, Patriots over the Jets. Now, it didn't matter. It ended up being a kick return. Cowboys ran for 151 yards. How about that? The Lions. You want the Lions ran it for? 160 yards. Lions took off. Lions didn't mess around. Lions say, screw this. Defining Dan Campbells have won three in a row. They went and beat the Giants. I mean, beat them bad. The New York football Giants got their brains beat out. I got to tell you, I don't even know how to say the guy's name. Amon Ra St. Brown has the greatest name in football. St. Brown, that's his last name. That's the coolest name in football. Even if you call him A.R. St. Brown. Even if you call him Amon Ross St. Brown, whatever you call him. I think the last name of St. Brown is very cool. He's become my favorite player because all he does is make plays, seven catches. What are you going to do? And then, of course, last night, the Chargers. You want rushing? The kid from Rutgers, like a seventh-round pick, Panchero, who they say runs like he's trying to hurt the ground for Kansas City. The kid that's running like he's trying to hurt the ground for Kansas City went for 101. Now, obvious late touchdown, great play, Mahomes to Kelsey. Kelsey had not one, not two, but three touchdowns. Honest to God, I know I'm going fast here, but how do you leave Kelsey open? Can somebody explain that to me? I mean, hey, look, I'll get out. Where's my phone? I'll get out on my phone. I'll go to Twitter, and I'll ask somebody, hey, how in the hell do you, I don't know, do, do you leave Kelsey open? Like, I would do, you know the one little kid in basketball who doesn't know how to guard anybody, so he just he just gets in front of his man and stands like this and doesn't let him go anywhere? That's what I'd do with Kelsey. I'd get the quickest guy I could and just have him stare at him and wherever he goes. I mean, at some point, you got to guard the best player on the other team. Basketball coaches haven't figured out some. They say, look, see that guy right there? That guy ain't beating us. That guy right there, of all the guys in this, he ain't beating us. He ain't beating us. That's right. But guess what? He beat you. And he beat you. And he beat you. Most importantly, he beat you late. And look, say whatever you'd like. Mahomes, pay him what he wants. Parsons, pay him what he wants. I'd even talk about the fact that Lamar Jackson's team got another win, a grinded-out win. I even talk about the fact that Justin Fields may be the best player in the NFL, but they can't win a game. I didn't even talk about the fact that the Atlanta Falcons are becoming, I, I said it last week, I'll keep saying it until it dies, 
They may be this year's team of destiny. And, of course, we got to go back to what was it Thursday night because the Titans are better than anybody in the league pretty much, at least in terms of toughness. All right, college football. I don't know if you saw this, but Shane Beamer, friend of the show, to this point, Shane Beamer is the only guy in the SEC coach that's become on our show. Shane Beamer won, listen to this, 63-38 over Tennessee. Now, you got to understand the infatuation with Tennessee. The entire group of OutKick, whether it's Dylan or Ryan or Dave, not Aaron, uh, obviously Clay, everybody lives in Nash Vegas. Everybody wants to be a, a Vols fan. Everybody wants to be a Titans fan, and everybody is. So we now pay attention, and we should pay attention because Josh Heupel's done a great job, but Shane Beamer's come on the show. That's right. Shane Beamer has come on the show, so Shane Beamer is our favorite SEC coach. I was uh, direct messaging with him last night or two nights ago. and No, it was yesterday, Sunday. Tell him what a great job he did. Look, I feel terrible for Hendon Hooker. Hendon Hooker has been my favorite college player uh, all year. I feel terrible for the kid. I wish the kid well. He tore his ACL. Joe Milton came in. I don't know if you guys saw this, but Joe Milton can throw the ball from here to Sheboygan. Holy cow. But anyway, the defense raucous. Shane Rattler finally, finally looked like the guy that had been talked about as the Heisman front runner a year ago when the season started at Oklahoma. Good for Shane Beamer. Really good for Shane Beamer. Happy for him. Proud dad on the sideline during the game is fun to watch. Isn't it amazing, though? Isn't it amazing how much more athletic and fast and tough and, I don't know, new school. I don't know. Then the SEC is compared to the Big Ten. Isn't it fascinating? Like, I spent most of the day doing a bunch of stuff around the house, and I had a TV on upstairs, downstairs, and we have an upstairs bedroom. I put them on because I didn't want to have to turn them on because I I wanted to walk in and see what was happening. And I'm watching all day. Finally, I don't know, around 3 o'clock, I just stopped whatever. My wife bought me the worst reclining chair in America. It literally hurts to sit on. But anyway, I'll show you a picture of it maybe later in the show. But anyway, uh, I'm sitting there, and I'm like, man, what a difference. Like, I don't know where South Carolina would fit in the Big Ten, but I got to tell you, if it played in the Big Ten West, it's going to the Big Ten championship game just based on, I don't know, athletic ability and toughness. TCU was a game of the century. TCU was unbelievable and even better. And he's going to join our show this week. Uh, Dylan, Jason Benetti will join our show this week. He was on the call along with Brock Hewitt. They are quickly becoming the best tandem in college football. But TCU runs the field goal unit onto the field, kicks the game-winning field goal, and Sonny Dykes, the coach after, says, yeah, that's what we're planning on doing. Yeah, we practice that. And I got to tell you, a lot of people didn't believe it. But a lot of people believe I believed it. Because, well, frankly, um, you know what? The, 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 hey, call him, will you please? Text Benetti, tell him he's got to come on tomorrow or Wednesday. Will you, Dylan? I talked to him for an hour last night. But anyway, it was unbelievable. They ran on the field. Everybody stayed stationary. Everybody stopped. Everybody got set. Clock's running down. Five, four, three. Hike, boom, snap, kick, boom. Game over. It was unbelievable. I had no dog in the fight. But I couldn't stop watching because Benetti and Brock Hewitt were that good, 
and frankly, the game was even better. Michigan-Illinois was the exact opposite. It came down to the same thing. It was the exact same thing, but the exact opposite. It was boring. It was dull. It was painful to watch. So you got two games that came down to the same thing. A kicker having to make a kick to keep playoff hopes alive for an undefeated team. The exact same thing. One was exciting as all get out, TCU, Baylor. The other was the cure for insomnia. Seriously, it it rivaled Jay Billis. Who else is the cure for insomnia? There's like three announcers that'll just put you to sleep. They're the cure for insomnia. And that's exactly what these guys are, the cure for insomnia. Like, Illinois, Michigan was like... uh, the other cure for insomnia is golf on a Sunday afternoon. It's the greatest sleeping medicine there is. But anyway, so here's the deal. Kid makes a kick. Michigan wins. Harbaugh talks about the toughness of his team. And frankly, the only thing that matters right now is getting the win because others are losing. See Tennessee. I'll tell you something else. I'll tell you something else. Ohio State Michigan, at least the way they played this weekend, They ain't that good. I know everybody tells me Ohio State's great. Okay. If you say so, I'll believe it. We're going to see this coming Saturday, who's good enough. But the truth of the matter is uh, Ohio State is interesting. Ohio State has not played great. No. It's going to be a good game, fun game. I'm trying to go, actually, but Ohio State hasn't played great. All right. Uh, Our friend Lane Kiffin, the only reason we're talking about this game is people are starting to say they're calling him Lane Duck Kiffin. He's going to go from Ole Miss to to Auburn, supposedly. All right, but here's the deal. Do you know who Larry Brown is? you know who Larry Brown is, the coach, the coach Larry Brown? Well, Larry Brown basically coached every NBA team. He did. I mean, the Pacers, the Knicks, the Warriors, the Jack, whatever. Name a team, he coached them. Well, the truth of the matter is, Lane Kiffin's trying to do the same thing. But he's trying to do it in the SEC. I think he's trying to coach every team in the SEC, and I ain't mad about it. I ain't mad at him at all. I'm not. I think that Lane Kiffin is the smartest guy going. I think Lane Kiffin is one of those guys that got it figured out. Larry Brown style. Get ahead of the posse. I can't really win here, and I'm probably going to get fired here if I stay too long. Like, I am the poster child. 2002, I left and went to West Virginia from Bowling Green. Came back. President threatened me. Looking at him, my wife's long story. Anyway, I stayed in the MAC too long. So, you know what? I got fired eventually. I didn't get fired. We, I decided very publicly not to pursue a contract extension. It's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Anyway, uh, so Lane Kiffin is trying to jump around. They got smacked. That team quit. That team said, Coach, are you leaving to go to Auburn? He probably didn't have the right answer or a believable answer, so they quit. All right, uh, Oregon, Utah. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lump in here USC and UCLA with Oregon and Utah. I think the Pac-12 is better than the Big Ten East or West. Might be better than the Big Ten East, which includes Ohio State and Michigan. 
I'm watching USC, Oregon, Utah, and UCLA, and I'm like, damn. They don't have, as my friend uh, Rob Lemley at ESPN, they don't have what he calls the big, thick ankle guys. The Big Ten's got the big, thick ankle guys. The Big Ten's got those guys that are like, hey, man, we're going to go and there's a sausage eating contest. No, no, no. SEC's got the athletic guys. Uh, Pac-12 has got Jordan Addison. How fast is that guy? Caleb Williams, how smart is that guy? Holy cow, and then DTR, he's not bad either. He just keeps throwing it to the other team. But the truth of the matter is I spent from 8 o'clock until whatever time that game was over watching USC, UCLA. Those guys are so much better than the Big Ten. Big Ten doesn't have any good games. Oregon-Utah was a really good game. I mean, a really good game. Oregon never stopped fighting. Now, here's the deal. USC, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to Mike Griffin's coming up here. USC might sneak in. USC's got a surging Notre Dame, and then they've got to play Oregon in the Pac-12 championship. So their last three wins would have been UCLA, if they do it. Now, I'm not saying they're going to do it. UCLA, surging Notre Dame, and a Pac-12 championship. I got to tell you, I know it's a tough road. They already cleared one hurdle, but a tough road is kind of what you want at the end of the year if you got to jump some people. It's kind of fascinating, really. Uh, College hoops, Kentucky looks like an average team. I try to tell my friend Seth Greenberg that. You know, in what world, let me ask you this, and I'll ask Mike Griffins this too because he's a Michigan guy, grew up Michigan State, uh, understands hoops. Just think about this historically, okay? I know the world is different, but think about this. In what world should Baylor be better than UCLA in basketball, and in what world Should a small Northwestern Catholic college, school, university, I guess it's a university, be better than Kentucky in basketball? Now, I'm not saying they shouldn't be better in Catholic studies. I get it. Church going, I understand it. Hell, maybe their SATs are higher, but Kentucky's a really good school. So you tell me, college basketball is insane. Virginia, Illinois, all right, I get it. Two really good programs in really good leagues. But in what world, historically, should Gonzaga, a town the size of my, or a school the size of my head, be better than Kentucky and Baylor that had a murder among its players when Scott Drew took over, be better than UCLA, the all-time leader in national championships? College hoops is great, man. All right, the World Cup starts out. uh, Cutter got its brains beat out. Cutter fans were arguing. Uh, look, uh, Ecuadorian fans yelling at Cutter fans. It was great. If you're going to be against any type of human rights insanity, Cutter, get beat in the World Cup. Elon Musk is bringing them all back. He's getting the gang back together. He's got Trump coming back, although Trump is saying, eh, I don't know. Uh, Babylon B is coming back. Jordan Peterson is coming back. Who are the 48% that said no? Don't you like fun and entertainment? Don't you like, like, you guys must have full lives. People ask me all the time, Dan, why are you on Twitter so much? What do I do? My day's over at three. People say, well, you're just going for clicks. No, I'm just going for conversation. I'm 60 years old. I'm antisocial. My wife is, you know, my best friend. 
That's me right there. There you go, Jordan Peterson. But that's me in the picture. So all I got is Twitter. All right, buckle up. Buckle up. Because I'm telling you right now, it's on. Mike Griffin. Here's what you do. You go to at Mike Griffith, G-R-I-F-F-I-T-H, 32, like OJ. There you go. At Mike Griffith, 32. We're going to get into He had a great tweet, great tweet, about folks in the media that don't know. Where are we at with USC? Where are we at with Lane Kiffin? You want information? I got information. Mike Griffith got information. We'll be right back. Man, I'm fired up. Sack the hell up and don't go anywhere. Don't at me. We'll be right back after this. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Buckle up. That's all I'll tell you. Buckle up. It's Mike Griffith. Nobody does it better. Atlanta Journal Constitution, Dog Nation. Best background in the history of this show. And by the way, we got a pretty good background coming up. Alexi Lawless is going to join us from Cutter. So this is like background day. All right, big dog. You had a tweet that basically said anybody disparaging what Georgia did you know, close-ish win, although by double digits, against Kentucky at Kentucky doesn't understand not only coaching but playing, but the SEC road win this time of year, big time. Georgia got it. Yeah, Kirby will take it, you know, and you got to give Kentucky credit for being engaged. And, you know, when you got that number one on your back like Georgia does, you're going to get that. You know, you see a lot of games around the country where maybe one team's not engaged, Old Miss, the other one is Arkansas. Right. But in this particular case, Kentucky coming off a pretty embarrassing loss to Vanderbilt. You know, Mark Stoops, he's a really good coach. He had signed a contract extension the previous week, but they didn't announce it, Dan, because he lost to Vanderbilt. So they waited until after they played Georgia respectable, respectable to announce that extension. And, and everyone says, thank you very much, Nebraska, because I think Mark Stoops was a candidate for the Cornhuskers. Good veteran coach, been in the league 10 years, understands Kirby Smart. And Kentucky is built like Georgia. And here's what I mean by that. Big, strong at the line of scrimmage, can more of a conventional pro-style offense. They've got a first-round talent there in Will Levis at quarterback. they got a veteran runner in Chris Rodriguez. This was going to be a smash-mouth game from the time the weather report came out. And that weather report was wind chill in the 20s and winds that were swirling at 20 miles an hour. It was exactly what Kentucky needed to pull the upset. One problem, Georgia wasn't going to let it happen, Dan. They stopped Kentucky at their own 31-yard line early in the game. They came up with an interception at their two-yard line when Kentucky was driving to go ahead in the second quarter, and then Georgia just wore them down, pounded them. It was 16-0. to Georgia had a third and one, fourth and one, couldn't punch it in. Kentucky fighting their asses off, so it stays 16-0 to instead of becoming a blowout. Georgia shuts down the pass game, runs it 17 out of the last 18 plays. This is what Kirby does takes the air out of the ball, and they grind out a smash-mouth throwback, 16-6 win, and you'll appreciate this. Buck Ballou, the Georgia legend, said, that looked like a Big Ten football game out there. Well, it was Big Ten football elements, and so Kirby Smart did what he had to do to, to win and survive. And, you know, by the end of the day, that win looked pretty good because Michigan had to come from behind. 
Ohio State had to come from behind. USC had to come from behind. TCU had to come from behind. Nobody's blowing anybody out at the end of the year. <laughs> Everybody's a target that's headed for the playoffs. Georgia took care of business, got on that airplane, and left Kentucky without any serious injuries. That's exactly right. You know, same thing TCU. You know, TCU comes running on the field. They got to kick a field goal late. Uh, they That was an exciting game. Michigan, they got to get a kicker. It kicks a field goal late. And you know what? At the end of the day, it ain't, it, I don't think, you tell me, how will the college football playoffs rankings that come out uh, tomorrow, how will they be affected? I know Tennessee is going to be affected, yeah. but I, I don't think either TCU with a close win or Michigan with a close win are going to be affected at all. Do you? No, not really. I mean, you, you said it, Dan. The big thing, the big jolt was Tennessee losing. They were the, they were the first in line for an at-large bid. They would have needed TCU or USC to drop a game. TCU escaped. Things are looking pretty good right now for the Horned Frogs. I mean, they come home, they play Iowa State to finish the season, and then they'll play in the Big 12 championship game, likely against Kansas State. I suppose there's an outside chance they face Texas. Uh, the Kansas State-TCU game earlier this year was pretty fascinating. Two different games, and you, you're going to want to Google that and check that out, the way that game flipped in the middle of it. But I, I think TCU's path, they got over a big hurdle beating Baylor. Look, Las Vegas knew. We were all sitting there going, why is the line only two or three points? TCU just beat this team, and Baylor just got – listen, the guys in Vegas always know. Don't kid yourself. You're not smarter than the guy in Vegas. If something looks too good to be true, it probably is. This is a, a word to the wise because, you know, the sports gambling is proliferating all over the nation, and there's a lot of people that have these hunches or think they know more. Believe me, they always know more. I've covered college sports 30 years, and as much as I know about these programs, those guys in Vegas have more information. I promise you that. So that was an interesting game for TCU. Survival Saturday, I called it, Dan. It was Survival Saturday. And Caleb Williams and USC, if you didn't stay up for this one, man, you missed a dogfight. This was back and forth. Uh, tremendous. A great offense. Made me want to see USC make the playoffs. Selfishly. People always say, well, who do you root for? Who do you? I root for the best story, man. I'm a sports writer. I'm selfish. I, I root for me. And what's good for me is a great football story to watch and write about. And I want to see USC make the playoffs. The problem is they've got one hell of a challenge ahead of them facing the Fighting Irish at home this weekend. And then they're probably going to play Dan Lanning's Ducks. If Oregon takes care of business against Oregon State, you're going to see that resurgent Oregon football team with Dan Lanning. He's a rock star. He's a rising star. I don't know how long Nike, I mean Oregon, can keep him up there. And Eugene, right? Nike, or you got you caught that, Dan. I appreciate that. Uh, but Dan Lanning is a guy. This is a guy that's on the map, man. Wherever he's at, he is going to win football games. And I promise you, USC does not want to see Oregon. Oregon will beat USC if they play them in the Pac-12 championship Ooh. game. So there is a lot of excitement ahead. Ooh, man, I'm going to differ with you. I, I will deflect to you mostly, but I, I'm not going to lie. I fall in love easy. Okay, Mike, I, I fall in love easy, and I did stay up to watch USC, and I didn't miss a second of it because the more I watched, the more I fell in love. When I was trying to get my current wife to date me when she was in Syracuse and I was in Indianapolis, I stayed on the phone all night, Mike. I'm a grinder. I'll grind it out, and I fall in love. So I'm taking USC. I want them in the playoffs because not only do I want you and me to have a good story, I just like them. I like the way they play. I think they're – Yeah. I don't know. I, 
I think they're fun. I, I, you know, and, and to the defense's point, defenses took it away from, what's that guy, TDR or RDT or whatever the hell his name is from <laughs> USC. They took it away from him late. Go freaking wow. horse, Trojans, whatever the hell you are. I'm going to give you that because you're a basketball guy. So, of course, you want to see points. Of course, you want to see fast break football up and down the field and baskets and points and touchdowns, and they're all the same. Dan, this is football, man. You got to have a little pride, a little manlyhood here, man. We want some smash mouth at the end of the year. We don't want to see these guys lofting balls and flags flying anytime somebody breathes on somebody else. You got to have some character and some heart. This is the game of football. This isn't seven on seven. They play tackle football in the SEC. Now, I will say this. The playoffs are set up for teams like USC. Why? What do Mercedes-Benz Stadium and Glendale, Arizona have in common? They're both controlled climate environments. They're dome stadiums. This favors teams that play offense. The good thing about Georgia, turn it back on the dogs, why they're number one, because they don't get a whole lot. Believe it or not, they're one of the most underappreciated number one ranked programs. You know how many times game day came to Athens this season? Like, I'm trying to think. Um, once? For, because Tennessee, right? We didn't see them all year. It was on one time. You didn't see SEC Nation pull in with, with fine ball. Typically, that kind of designates, like, this is a big game. They're bringing the station set here, you know, the network set. That only happened once because it's like, eh, eh, just because they're supposed to win. What makes Georgia great? And Kirby Smart has now locked in first ballot Hall of Fame status, by the way. He has joined Nick Saban and Steve Spurrier as the only coaches in the SEC modern era, and that's when the division split in 1992, to go undefeated in conference play in back-to-back years. And there's still a discussion over whether he should be the SEC coach of the year. I mean, give me a break, man. But what makes Georgia great is they can win the shootout. They can win the smash mouth. They can win outside at 20 degrees. They can win indoors at 72 degrees with no win. Kirby Smart has built a program that is flexible enough to beat you, whoever you are, at your own game, anytime, anyplace, anyway. That's what they say in that football building over there right now, Dan. Yeah, well, okay. Now, that was a very nice filibuster, and I enjoyed it immensely. But I got to tell you, <laughs> Bo Schembechler ain't walking through that door, pal. He ain't walking through that door. And those thick ankle guys that are lining up with those low asses, you got to have a high ass and high calves to win in modern-day football, baby. Schembechler ain't walking through that door. Duffy Doherty, uh-uh. Woody, gone. No, no. This is about speed. This is about Jordan Addison. And just make one or two plays defensively a game is all I ask from USC. You're right about Georgia. Georgia's got the package, but let me ask you this. Are we still questioning Stetson Bennett? Is that still a question that other coaches look like they can say, wait a second, we can't get to this guy and make Georgia one-dimensional with the run? Well, it depends on what the question is, Dan. If the question is, is he the best quarterback in college football, the answer is no. Uh, If the question is, does Georgia want to put the game on his shoulders, the answer is no. But every good football coach wants – it, what, what's the question? Be, be clear. I want to be clear on this. What's the question? Can they put it on his shoulders? Uh, no. They need to play good yes. defense. It, can they, a they defense, need to have balance. you know, that's good, or can a team that's good in a Final Four and smart make it such that Stetson Bennett has to beat them? And if that happens, how confident are Georgia fans that he could do that against one of the other top three teams in the country? 
Well, we've seen this movie before. It was called the SEC Championship game last year. And Alabama put 41 on the scoreboard, and that is not Georgia's game. Stetson's Bennett game is not to, to step back in the pocket and have to throw because of game circumstance. But here's the good news for Georgia. They've outscored everybody like 98-5 to five in the first quarter because Georgia has the best coaching staff and is the best prepared team from week to week in college football. And they're the best coached team. They're one of the least penalized teams in the nation, the least penalized team in the SEC, in fact. And it's not because they're not aggressive and they're not physical. It's because they're well coached. So the trick is to get ahead of Georgia – and to put Stetson Bennett and that offense in a position where they have to play catch-up. It happened earlier this year at Missouri, and the dogs struggled a little bit. They were down 10 points in the fourth quarter in Columbia, Missouri, and Stetson Bennett wasn't having a good game. So they turned to the ground game, and they had to execute a fourth and two. They had to punch it in there. So there has been a team that's gotten ahead of them. It hasn't happened often, though, Dan, because Kirby and this staff, they are so well-prepared. They are so well. Nobody leads after the first quarter. Nobody scores. They haven't given up a touchdown in the first quarter in like 15 games. I mean, check me on that. That's an amazing stat, right? So if you're not ahead of Georgia, then Kirby doesn't have to press Stetson Bennett into action. You heard what I said earlier. They ran the ball 17 out of the last 18 plays against Kentucky. They threw the ball only four times in the second half against Tennessee and only once in the fourth quarter. They don't want to have to put pressure on their offense to have to score and have to be behind the chains. They would rather punt it. And as long as their defense is in control, which has been for like the last five years, it seems like, with the exception of the Alabama games, you're going to have a hard time beating these guys. Now, here's the question. If they play a USC, is the USC offense so dynamic that they could just go up and down the field on the Georgia defense? I don't know the answer to that question. I know Tennessee couldn't. I know we heard that Tennessee was going to hang 50 on Georgia, and I watched Kirby Smart's defense absolutely shut down the Vols. I think it was 24-6 to at half. Now, you can say it was crowd noise, and, and you can say it was, you know, offsides and all these. Listen, it's going to be loud in whatever building they play in. And USC, Dan, they're not used to this. They're not used to the type of intensity. But like I told you, they're not going to get there, man. The Ducks are going to – Dan Lanning and the Ducks are going to derail them. And, and even more, if Dan doesn't beat them – Guess where that game plan's going, Dan? Guess who Dan Lynn used to coach for, right? Kirby Smart. Guess who's going to have the benefit yeah. of that tape and the benefit of seeing how that Georgia similar defense plays against USC? And we saw this act before because Alabama got lit up by Tennessee. Let me tell you, Kirby and that staff went to school on that film from Knoxville just like they would go to school if this scenario plays out where USC plays Oregon Kirby Smart and his staff's going to benefit from that game. I'm telling you, you got to out-prepare these guys. You're not going to beat them on Saturday. You better beat them the, the previous spring in the weight room, and you better beat them in the coaching office because you ain't beating them on Saturday. All right, before I let you go, you mentioned something that I want to follow up on. You mentioned something, people showing up, and it took my mind to what I saw, Alabama and Texas A&M. They both played teams, UMass and whoever, Austin P, whatever, mm-hmm. Nobody stay for games. I know the deal in Texas A&M is different. Um, does the SEC or the athletic directors maybe need to rethink that late game to give the team a, quote, break? I mean, it, based on crowds and what's not happening? This is an unintended consequence of the transfer rule in the NIL, Dan. These kids are shutting it down. We talked about Ole Miss and Arkansas. This was the easiest pick on the board last week. Like I said, the guys in Vegas know something. Maybe they didn't factor this in. 
Arkansas is playing at home for Sam Pittman, and they're playing for pride. You look at the Ole Miss roster, look how many transfers they have. How much of those guys really invested in the Ole Miss program? How many of those guys grew up wanting to be an Ole Miss Rebel? They didn't care. They're free agents, man. They signed on as mercenaries. They got knocked out by Alabama last week. Collectively, they did not care as much about that game as Arkansas did. Then, two, Florida at Vanderbilt. Another game, easy to call. What did Florida have to gain? Well, they had everything to gain. They'd won two games. You're thinking like a fan. You're not thinking like a player. Right now, those players are thinking about, am I going pro or am I going in the portal? And who, what schools are calling me right now? What offers are, am I getting? Because here's the deal. You've got this free agency period, this transfer window coming up that starts on December 4th, the day after. But if you don't think that these coaches are reaching out to players that they recruited two, three, four years ago or players' parents, and, hey, Johnny, guess who called today? And guess who called? Maybe you'll go here, and maybe you'll go. And the coaches say, we want you focused on the game. Come on, let's be real, man. These kids are human beings. They're looking at their future. They got the agent telling them where they'll go if they get drafted. They got the parents and the uncles and the aunts and the middlemen telling them what schools are telling them what kind of NIL deals that they can get if they transfer there. Then they got their coach in the air saying, hey, we're going to play in front of 35,000 people in cold weather at Vanderbilt. Let's get excited. Let's be realistic. You're watching locker room splinter all over the country as kids enter the portal. And what you saw last weekend in some of these games with some of these disinterested teams, this is just the tip of the iceberg of what the bowl season is going to become. That's going to be the, this is the next big one, Dan. They're going to have to figure out how to provide some incentives where these kids are going to want to play in these non-New Year's Six, non-playoff games. There was a Tennessee player, got drafted in the first round within the last few years, don't want to mention his name. He opted out of the, of the Georgia Bowl game because it wasn't a playoff game. He told me straight up, if that's a playoff game, I'm playing. But if it's not a playoff game, I'm not playing. So then we got to ask ourselves, what is the purpose of the bowl games? How do you provide incentive for these guys to play, much less the end of the regular season? And I'm going to bring it back to Georgia one more time because I'm going to tell you this is the difference. Georgia's got a guy in Jalen Carter. This is a guy that's going to be drafted in the top three in the NFL. He'll be the first non-quarterback selected. This kid had a foot injury and an MCL knee injury. And I asked myself, if you're Jalen Carter on the verge of generational wealth, tens of millions of dollars, do you come back and risk that knee? Not only has this guy come back, he has played 48 snaps against Tennessee. He played 40 snaps against Mississippi State. He played 46 snaps against Kentucky. Those are high numbers for any defensive tackle, much less a guy with this draft stock. But Smart has created a culture, and this is only happening at about – maybe 20 schools left in the country that are this engaged where there's this level of buy-in where the players are truly and honestly playing for one another. That is so hard to do in today's me generation, but that's what's separating Georgia right now. That's what's separating these programs, these championship programs that are finding ways to win games because they're bought in and they still have something to play for, Dan, and this is why they want the college football playoffs expanded to 12 teams so that come November, you got 40 or 50 teams that still have a stake in the game instead of seven or eight or ten. Just let him go, man. Just let him go, and you're going to get unbelievable information. Seriously, that's – see, that, that's the real world of college football. Like, and, and I don't know if it's good or bad. I, I can't imagine it's good, but that's the real world of college football – Right there. And, Mike, I would argue it ain't slowing down. 
Like, there ain't going to be players that say, oh, man, that guy should have played in that bowl game. Nuh-uh. It ain't slowing down. And I don't know if college basketball is, is going to go the same direction. I, I, you know, guy may not play in the NIT, I guess, but I get it. I, Mike, have a great day, man. Always appreciate you. You always bring it. Thank you, sir. <laughs> appreciate it, Dan. Have a good one, man. He's the best. He's the best. At Mike Griffith, G-R-I-F-F-I-T-H 32. Seriously, what he just said is exactly what college football has become about. You think college football is about blocking and tackling, and if you're a gambler, what Mike just gave you might be the most vital information. Like, figure out the team that on the surface is supposed to be good, but the whole team is bottomed out. He ain't wrong. Why do you think Mississippi went in there and got their brains beat out? You know what I mean? So, anyway, um, good stuff. All right, I got some stock up. I got some stock down. Shane Beamer, you are the man. Shane Beamer, your stock is up, even though everybody in our company is not happy today and wasn't happy on Saturday and certainly not happy on Sunday. You whooped up on the Tennessee Vols. And not only did you whoop up on the Tennessee Vols, you did it in such a way, such a classy way. You just did. He's being interviewed after the game. He's just a likable guy. If I always go to this, Mom, I had a son, I did have a son, that had opportunities to go to college. And I'm always like, hey, dude, uh, let's, let's look at who you're playing for. I always said that, like, who are you playing for, right? So Shane Beamer, to me, is one of those guys that I'd be like, yeah, yeah, I could see my son playing for him. I, I go to what I play for him. And yeah. Yeah, I would think that he would be a really, really good guy to play for. I would think that. I really would. All right, so there you go. Stock up. The great Tom Allen. Indiana, or Indiana, Indiana, we're all for you. Look, I'm wearing my IU shirt today. Why, you ask? I'll tell you why. Because, ladies and gentlemen, Indiana down 24-7 to in the third quarter against $95 million, $95 million of Mel Tucker at Michigan State in the cold, did what Indiana has always done to Michigan State. Not really, but bear with me. And that is whoop them. Give them a whooping. That's right. They gave them a whooping and ended up winning it in overtime. Tom Allen, you are the man. There's a freshman named Dexter Williams. <coughs> Dexter Williams <coughs> is saving jobs and giving hope <coughs> to Indiana. Speaking of giving hope, hey, when I'm wrong, I'm wrong. You guys that listen to me, you guys that watch this show know when I <coughs> when I am wrong, I am wrong, and I apologize, and I'm wrong. But I was wrong about Marcus Freeman. Marcus Freeman's done a hell of a job. Notre Dame started out 0-2. They've won 8 now. Here's the deal. Notre Dame's got to play USC, a hot USC team. Now, here is very simple. Notre Dame beats USC. This is a great year for Notre Dame. Period. Period. Now, first year, you do all this. You come back from where you came back from. If Notre Dame beats USC, and it's very real that they could, then guess what? Guess what? 
this is not a good year at Notre Dame. This is a great year. It's not the best because they wouldn't have gotten into the Final Four. They wouldn't have played for a championship. But this is one heck of a year at Notre Dame. Hey, baby. Look at me. All you Libbies out there, you seem sad. You guys are all whining. Donald Trump's back on Twitter. Does that scare you? Oh, he's an insurrectionist. That is a great picture. Do we have the tweets? Do we have Shannon Coulter, Ann's sister? Do we have her being a Karen? Hello, Karen. How are you, sweet Karen? You're sad, Karen. Karen, what's going on? Anyway, uh, we do have her picture. We will show you her picture because she reached out. She reached out. I emailed the head of safety, safety, because this is dangerous business at Apple and Google, respectively, to ask if their app stores will continue to carry the Twitter app now that Elon Musk has restated. That didn't go well for young Karen slash Shannon. She responded by saying, I'm living in your heads. Well, you're not living in anybody's heads. People are responding to your stupidity. Come on. Karen, relax. All is well. Nobody's going to get hurt. Pay attention to your life. We'll pay attention to ours. But man, the Libbies were out in for How many people are going to die, Dave Levitt said. Because Donald Trump is back on Twitter. In Trump's defense, Trump said, yeah, I don't know if I'm going back on. And on the other side, conservatives were like, it felt a little cultish. It felt a little, well, our hero's back. Oh, come on. What I look at Donald Trump on Twitter is for the humor. That's what I look at. I don't know about you, but that's what I see when I see the Donald, the humor. All right, lastly, Lovey Smith. I, I got to tell you, I'm excited. I like Lovey Smith. I felt Lovey Smith got a raw deal by the Chicago Bears. Felt like he got screwed. Guess what? Man, did the Texans stinks. Woo! Uh, the, when the first line on your highlight reel is now they are playing for the first pick in the draft, you stinks. I'm just saying. All right. By the way, you want to hear good music? Go to Jay Shaw on Spotify. I'm telling you. Jay Shaw. Promise you. Give it a listen. Tell me what you think. We play it out here. Uh, we play it out here. Nobody knows him, but they're going to they're gonna know him very, very quick. All right. When we come back, I got Chad with me, Withrow. Chad and I are going to break down what's going on in the NFL, and we're going to break down all of college football next. That's it. I got to take a break. We'll be right back with more on Don't At Me across the Outkick Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's Monday. We got the OutKick 360 Fellas. We only got one this time, and there's no used to be three. Now there is two. The great Chad Withrow joins us at Chad Withrow for all things. Let's start with this. 
Let's start with the Titans. You watched the Titans, and Titan fans got to watch, Titan fans media got to watch the Titans play, and then sit back and watch the rest of the NFL play. How good are the Titans relative to the rest of the NFL? That's a, an ever-evolving answer there, Dan, isn't it? It's, uh, it's really crazy to me because I, I had this team buried after two weeks. I mean, I, I didn't think their playoff hopes were buried, but any possibility of this Titans team being a real contender to win playoff games I thought was a real long shot after the first couple weeks of the season uh, when you saw their performance against uh, the performance against the Giants, but then the Bills, but really just the lack of any explosive playmaking on the outside. Trading away A.J. Brown, they had no real receiving threats. We know Ryan Tannehill's problem once they get to the playoffs. It was always a team built on running the ball with Derrick Henry and defense. As this season has gone along, I think that's a formula that could win and win big in this NFL. And and it's for this reason. We saw some pretty good quarterbacks last night in that Chiefs-Chargers game. There's spots of great quarterback play, great offense across the league. But this is a season, Dan, where offense across the league is really down. And teams that can play great defense and can run the football, I'm looking up and it looks like 1989 all over again in the NFL. So maybe, just maybe, the Titans are really one of the best teams in the league. Standings-wise right now, that, that's where they are. They're, they're a team that's close to the top. I watched that Patriots-Jets game yesterday that ends on a punt return for a touchdown. When it's 3-3 three to three and I see the great defense played in that game by two teams that are contending within their own division, and I think this just may be a weird outlier year of the NFL. Maybe it's a trend where defenses are really making a comeback across the league, but quarterback play has been down, aided in large part by Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers, both having relative down seasons to their great careers, and those are the two biggest names across the NFL. And because of that and some other guys not really taking the next step at quarterback, you're left with this vacuum of a league where defense is a lot better. The running game is better in certain places. We know the Titans have one of those. I was super impressed with their win at Lambeau Field. I thought that was a chance for the Packers to right the ship and gain some control over their season after that comeback win over the Cowboys, which was a great win for the Packers. And the Titans went up there and put it to them. Uh, so I, I really have evolved my opinion of this Titans team as the year's gone on. And also, by the way, Fraylon Burks finally did something. The first-round pick at receiver for the Titans. If that starts to happen, that's going to be a really good thing for this team. Yeah, he did. Two big plays. And you and I um, and Jonathan, we've pretty much talked all year. You know what? The big play was missing. Burks had two big ones. All right, let me, let me stay in Tennessee just for right now. What the hell happened? to the Vols. What happened here? Oh, Dan, it's, uh, you know, we, we talk about Dylan, your producer is, is a, is a Vol also. Uh, we talk about battered Vol syndrome. And when we talk about it, people are like, Oh, stop thinking about like that. Stop being negative. Stop doing this. And I'll point to this day in mid November and this performance in this game and say, this is why it's hard to get your hopes overly up about a, a, a Tennessee football team. Look, it doesn't take anything away from the fact that this has been a great season for Tennessee football. Josh Heupel in year two has done amazing work. Hendon Hooker is going to be one of my all-time favorite Tennessee quarterbacks because he he willingly came to a dumpster fire of a program But when Jeremy Pruitt was fired, uh, when Philip Fulmer was basically fired under NCAA investigation. They were terrible on the field. They were 3-7. and seven. 
in 2000 in 2020. And then they come out last year, they surprised with seven wins in the regular season. And they blew everyone away this year, and they're really one of the more fun teams to watch in all of college football. That that remains the case. But this Saturday night to me was what I expected in the preseason. Not a blowout loss to South Carolina, but a team that offensively is such a juggernaut and could score points with anyone, but defensively could be such a liability that you might beat Alabama and you might lose to Kentucky or you might lose to Vanderbilt, or you might lose to South Carolina or Missouri. They've gotten through most of the obstacles this year so far outside of Georgia, obviously. But this was one where, in the back of my mind, I'm watching, and I'm thinking, oh, you know what? This was the defense and the team that I expected in, in 2022. This is the outlier performance that I was expecting. Dan, it was uh, – and I'm not – this is not hyperbole. This was the worst defensive performance I've seen – in my 40 years watching Tennessee football, relative to a bad offense. I've seen teams do more to Tennessee. I saw a great offense in Bryce Young and Alabama do whatever they want for the most part against Tennessee, and Tennessee won that game in the end. So I've seen it against great offenses. This was a struggling South Carolina offense that Tennessee's defense – look, Spencer Rattler, credit to him. He, He looked like the Heisman Trophy candidate from Oklahoma for one night. He was terrific. That was a career game. He was on fire. He couldn't miss. He was putting it on the money all night. Tennessee did nothing to affect that, though. Uh, They allowed him to do whatever he wanted. And for that reason, Tennessee's no longer in the playoff hunt, but they still have a lot to play for because it's a program that I was going through the notes last night. You know, they haven't won 11 games since 2001. They haven't won 10 games, I think, since 2007. So that's 15, 20 years of history and they got a chance to erase some of that this season by at least getting to 10 against Vanderbilt this weekend and having a chance in an 11-win season in an Orange Bowl maybe against Clemson or in the Cotton Bowl. That's not so bad. If you told me that coming into the season, even with all the disappointment, I, I would take that opportunity. But man, oh man, Dan, they, they blew a golden chance to get to the, the college football playoff because now USC and, and uh, TCU may win out and it may not have mattered. I think those teams would have jumped them if had they won out and won their conferences. But um, that that was still that was an opportunity left out there that they just did not capitalize on. All right, let me let me go back to the NFL for a second. You look at the AFC, and if you're a Titans fan, you're already looking at the playoffs because let's be honest, the Colts had a glimmer of hope for you know one minute last week, and now the Colts are the Colts, and the division was over. Now it's really over. Who do you see? Like last night, hey, Mahomes doing Mahomes things. I'm not all that shot in the backside with Justin Herbert and the Chargers. A lot of people are. I think Lamar Jackson is very dangerous. Joey Burrow the same. The AFC East, is it any good? I don't know. What do you see? I mean, I see the Chiefs. You know, that that's the first one that you, you mentioned. Uh, the, if I'm thinking about the AFC right now, I still think Bills, I need to see, it was it was a nice step in the right direction yesterday. They had to go to Detroit to do it and get out of Buff, get out of snowy Buffalo. But, you know, better from Josh Allen. I need to see him trim down the mistakes a little bit. I still think ultimately it's what we thought in the preseason, Dan. It's, it's Chiefs-Bills at the top of the conference. I'll tell you a team I got my eye on in the AFC. It's the, it's the Dolphins. I think when two is healthy and with Tyreek Hill, I, I think that they are a really dangerous team. They play good defense. They've got a, a different offense. They've brought that 
sort of 49ers unique rushing attack uh, mixed with uh, mixed with some of the old uh, um, uh, 49ers principles of West Coast offense mixed with a lot of different things. I, I really like that Dolphins team and their chances of making a run. But I mean, right now, you know, what I would have said in mid-August, looking at the NFL season, would have been Bills, Chiefs on a collision course to have another great game in the playoffs, just like we saw a year ago. And then some other teams maybe uh, jumping in the mix in a surprise fashion. We talked about the Titans earlier. Maybe the Titans, if they figure out the passing game a little bit more, could contend with one of those teams. But really, I look around, Dan, and I think Bills, Chiefs, and Dolphins. Dolphins are getting close for me to putting them in that group with those two teams. I've been very impressed with this group. We had this discussion about MVP on our show in, in regards to Tyreek Hill, and Hutton completely dismissed it. And he has his weekly column at Outkick with his his uh, NFL awards watch list. And he said it just doesn't go to a receiver. It's going to go to a quarterback, and I agree with him. But Tyreek Hill's a guy that, that's going to get some consideration, even for MVPs having such a great year. So those three teams and then everyone else. But I'm even putting the Dolphins in maybe a little separate category just below Chiefs and Bills. You know, it's kind of funny, um, and you guys see this all the time, but so I'm watching the Titans, and I'm like, hey, start putting some respect to Tannehill, and he throws an interception as soon as I said that, right? So Tannehill's deal, he can do, correct me if I'm wrong, but he can do whatever, all right? But it does not matter in the world of Titans unless Tannehill does it in the playoffs, period. That's it, right? You're exactly right, Dan. It's almost like you could host a, a radio show in Indy and Nashville with that level of knowledge right there because that's all the talk. You know, I think Titans fan, we reached the point uh, in this city where you plateaued, right? I mean, it's great to go to the playoffs. And, you know, we understand in the city of Nashville watching this Titans team that, hey, there's a lot of uh, organizations that would love to annually make the playoffs under a GM and head coach regime and a quarterback. But we're past that now in Nashville. The Titans should be past that. That's why the trade of A.J. Brown was so odd to so many that it still felt like the Titans, while they you didn't necessarily just want to run it back, that they could go back with that group and have A.J. Brown as part of a three-headed monster with Tannehill, Henry, and then Brown, and really makes do some damage in the playoffs. But specifically with Tannehill, this regular season is secondary. They're going to win the division. They're going to probably host a playoff game. Ryan Tannehill has to do something in the playoffs. It really is that simple. I thought he was terrific on Thursday night, over 300 yards for the first time this year. I joke this is a Titans team that would never score more than 24. Well, they proved me wrong. They scored 27 on Thursday night. Tannehill is is the engine that will make this offense go along with Derrick Henry. We saw the huge drop-off to Malik Willis, but he's a guy that's got to get it going in the playoffs. And do me a favor, Dan, next time you have our guy Armando Salguero from OutKick on this show, ask him his thoughts on Ryan Tannehill. It's always entertaining. For a guy who covered him in Miami with the Dolphins and saw the lack of good play there, to then hear people talk and say good things about Tannehill it just blows Armando's mind every time to hear about that. But it's always an entertaining answer. So ask him the same question next time you get him on. You know what's interesting? I, this is just, you know how first impressions are. Tannehill came into Indianapolis when he was with the Dolphins, 
and was great. Like, great. You know what I mean? Like, I, you know, I don't yeah. know what he did before or after, but he was terrific. So my, my view of Tannehill from that is like, this dude's really good. And then when you, you know, you watch him and because you, you're, you know, like you said, I do a radio show in Indy and you're like, yeah, okay. But my first impression, and it was with the Dolphins, Chad, was this dude's terrific. Athletic, throw it. He was great that day. Not good, great. So, what can I tell you? Yeah, you're, you're bringing to light, Dan, that uh, this is the reason I think Spencer Rattler is going to be an NFL Hall of Famer. After the one game I watched him play against Tennessee, I watched that game Saturday right. night. And now my, my impression of him has completely changed. Every time I watch him, I'm looking for uh, over 400 yards passing and an electric running game out of him because of his performance uh, against the Vols well, on Saturday night. Yeah, t- and Tannehill. But if it was, it, it is, it, it was if it was your first time seeing Rattler, you know what I mean? Your first time, not you've seen him enough. But if it was your yeah. first time, you'd be like, you know, what the hell? This guy's great. This guy, you know. Hey, this guy's and here's terrific. the thing. And, and no, you bring up a good point simply because it, Tannehill has that ability. Uh, where he, in certain games, you know, Thursday night's a good example, he can really pop and show you something and then can revert. All too often, he reverts in the playoffs. Let me give you just an example, just one play to an Indiana Hoosier, Nick Westbrook-Akine, a receiver who really should be a fourth receiver for someone, but because of the Titans receiver situation, he's way too high in the pecking order. But either way, he and Tannehill connected on a touchdown pass against the Broncos. Titans are down 10-0. Right before the half, it was looking bleak in a very defensive game that you knew you were going to get. And Tannehill throws, it's an outcutting route to the corner of the end zone right before the half. That is beautiful touch over the linebacker's head in front of a safety. Westbrook Akine makes a great catch in the corner of the end zone. And I'm watching that and thinking, that's magnificent. And the Titans would have had no chance of doing that with Malik Willis at quarterback. And this is right when Tannehill came back. That got them back in the game. They score quickly on the on the flea flicker trick play to Akine in the second half to take the lead. They never looked back in that game, but I kept circling in my mind that touchdown pass right before the half because there's not a ton of quarterbacks in the NFL that would so easily make that throw and that catch. I don't think it's that easy for, T- for Tannehill. It doesn't happen all the time, but he's capable of it. And a Malik Willis, as the backup, is simply not capable of that. And that really stuck in my mind. If the Titans go on to do something great this year and end up having you know, the, the one or two seed, let's say, in the AFC playoffs because they continue to win and feast on a pretty bad division, I'm going to go back to that throw and catch and that win over a struggling Broncos team as an example of this is what the team could be with Tannehill that they're not if he's not playing. Uh, I'm going to have – I have all these guys with the Colts, as you guys have. You know, I got them all telling me what's going on here. From your view, in the division, someone that follows it, what's your view of the Colts and Jeff Saturday now that they've lost? I think that Jeff Saturday has taught the Colts' offensive line how to play again a little bit, especially run block. Uh, that Jonathan Taylor being more involved in the offense is a positive – and I got to tell you, Dan, I was rooting like hell for Saturday, yesterday, to beat the Eagles because I, like you, am tired of Bill Cower and Joe Thomas and everyone acting like you have to have a PhD in 35 years of you know, quality control, analyst, assistant experience to be an NFL head coach. 
And it shows that really smart, competent people that understand the sport, even if they're in television, can step in and be successful as a head coach. And let's face it, I mean, he's he is the sort of the 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 what what is it that Matthew McConaughey, the minister of culture at Texas, right? That's a big part of his job when he comes in there. It's it's kind of a broken team under Frank Reich. They had that 26-16 loss to the Jags at the end of the season last year. I'm watching Hard Knocks, and the attitude around the facility was very ho-hum. No one seemed to really care about that loss. So something was broken within that locker room, and he came in and infused some energy and a different spirit in the locker room. And credit to the assistant coaches. They're pros. If you walk in there humbly and say, guys, I don't know if I'm going to be good at this or not, but can you help me try to bring us out of this pit right now? Let's work to be better. And those 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 uh, coordinators, assistant coaches, have done a great job of sticking with it and coaching well. And I think it's all about Jeff Saturday's attitude. If he went in there and started yelling at everyone and the assistant coaches and talking about how bad they sucked and how much more he knows than them, a similar attitude, quite frankly, to what Bill Cower brought to his argument or Joe Thomas, had he done that like a lot of NFL coaches with experience, then I think he would have lost that team a lot quicker. That he's not lost that team. They won a game. They had every opportunity to beat one of the best teams in the NFL uh, yesterday, and they lost it in the last minute. So it's it's a different team right now. Do I think they're going to the playoffs? No. Do I think they're going to go on some big win streak? No. Do I think that they are a team that is going to compete like crazy and give team fits, give teams fits down the stretch? Yes, from what I've seen through two games. And that's a credit to Jeff Saturday. It's also a credit to the idea that if you're a smart person – and you're willing to humble yourself and learn on the job, you can be successful at something like an NFL head coach. And I'm not arguing it's an easy job. I know it's a difficult one, but it's also not an impossible job. And I'm so tired of the argument from some that you got to have all this experience and do all this before you get your chance. I just think it's it's bogus. You know, one of the things, uh, and I totally agree, I've always told people this. I coached for 20-some years, spent basically my last – eight years at Indiana in a film room with Bob Knight, was a head coach, all that stuff. But being in TV for 10 and going around and seeing other programs and paying attention and studying other programs, I told people I'd I'd be a much better coach right now than I ever was after all the experience that I had just because you see a different, you'd see a different view. You've grown up. So I'm, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, and you know what? They, they didn't seem like a whole lot of a different team yesterday. Ultimately, the defense still really good. The offense still really bad. But at least they seem to give a rats. And your point about at the end of last year, I got criticized uh, unmercifully by the local media here for talking about that. But it was so absurd. It was like a malaise. And that malaise carried over. So, hey. At least there's some, you know, there's some oomph, there's some juice here. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And look, uh, tying it back to your question about the Tennessee Vols that that upset at South Carolina Saturday, I appreciated what Josh Heupel said after the game because he said this is one that needs to sit with us on the way back. This is not a this yeah. is not a snap and clear type game. You know, this one this one needs to really bother us. And he mentioned it needs to bother people who are on this trip. And he's referring to Jeremy Banks, the linebacker who didn't make the trip, apparently because of some poor decisions he made within the team the week of the game. And he said, this really needs to, to bother us. And, and 
That's what I didn't see with the Colts a year ago. And I, I yeah. keep going back to that and thinking if you're a competitor in anything, you know, you if Dan, if you and I went to Six and Peabody and played ping pong for two hours and we got really into it, you know, I'm gonna shake your hand at the end of it. But if I lose and I think I'm pretty good at ping pong, it's gonna bother me for at least five minutes. Uh, it should bother you for a lot more than five minutes if you're paid a lot of money to play NFL football or coach NFL football and you lose with everything in front of you the last two weeks of the season, especially to a terrible Jacksonville team in the last week. And I thought that was really a sign of things to come for the Colts, and, and it it proved true through the start of this season, and, and Frank Reich lost his job. And look, I, I, everything I hear about Frank Reich, he's a great man. He's a, he's a nice guy. I'm sure he's going to land on his feet as an offensive coordinator somewhere else, but there's comes a time where being a nice guy doesn't always work, and you got to try something different, and, and you got to bring some different energy into it. That's with any organization, not not just the team. And I think the Colts have done that. Look, it's two games. He's one and one. I think it's a great sign the way they played the first two weeks. But we'll see how it works out moving forward. But I think you'd have to be pretty blind to watch that episode of Hard Knocks a year ago as a Colts fan or someone who covers the team and not be a little bit miffed about the reaction and the attitude around that place after that loss. I agree. Thank you, my friend. Oh, you're exactly right. You should do a show in Indy and Nashville. You got it nailed. That's it. That's uh, our place. It, Dan, let's slowly conquer the Mid-South and the Midwest. We're yes. only a five-hour drive apart. We can have some sort of crosstalk where we host shows in, in both places. Uh, hey, it's always fun hopping on with you, my friend. Thank you so much. Outkick 360, 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern later today on uh, on the Outkick Network. And uh, I think Cole Kubelik's going to join us from SEC Network. He's an Auburn grad. We'll talk about that Auburn job. And we'll react to what was a big weekend in the NFL and college football. So it's going to be a lot of fun on this short Thanksgiving week. Thanks, brother. Thank you. Great stuff. Great, great Happy stuff. Happy Thanksgiving, Dan. Thanks. Thanks to you. You too and all your family. That's right. I always forget it's Thanksgiving. We're just working. Uh, what did our boy McAfee do at college game day? Got, uh, you know, he signed a fan's arm. I love, I love when McAfee does stuff. He just lives right here. Uh, he lives in a compound with Bob or Tom, one of the two guys from Bob and Tom. So uh, apparently McAfee uh, is getting it done. Look, I got to tell you this about Pat McAfee. Pat McAfee is great on game day. Great. Not good. Great. You think he's great because he's entertaining, and he is. Very entertaining. But Pat McAfee, his knowledge on game day is second to none. See, game day doesn't have a coach on it, which is why I really like Big Noon Football. I think Big Noon Football is the best show on TV, pregame show, uh, other than Charles Barkley and that crew. And the reason is because Urban is really good, and they have a terrific chemistry together. But Pat joining game day changed game day for me. Now, they don't have a coach. I know Herbie tries to be, and, you know, they say he's a son of a coach, so he knows that's fine. But unless you've made your money, unless you've fed your family as a coach, I personally don't want to hear it. I digress. But anyway, here's the deal. So let's go to the video. What did McAfee do here, Dylan? What, what did we get going? <laughs> McAfee apparently uh, is getting his arms signed. You know, one night I took my buddy Big Balls Billy and his dad. Right. And his BB- man's name is Tanner. Okay, he's a student here. 
It is eight degrees currently. He's got his nips out for one reason, one reason alone. He is forcing me to do this. Tanner, please. Yep. Consent. I, I do not think this is a good idea, okay? But for the sake of the story, Tanner would like me to tattoo his arm, and he's going to get tattooed on him. Once again, I am not. I do not think this is a good thing. Tanner? I think it's a good thing. It's once in a lifetime type thing. I went to sign it just a second ago, and he said, make sure it's good. It's going to be on me forever. That is the most daunting thing I've ever heard in my entire life. I'm a little scared. Uh, but I appreciate the hell out of you, Tanner. Oh, yeah. You should get something to cover this up at some point. We'll see. Is this your, do you have any other tattoos? No. Get out! <laughs> no way! Come on. Tanner, this you is a bad decision. Number, it's a great decision. It's a bad decision. It's going on. <laughs> hell yeah, good luck out there, dude. That's going to look great. Dude, you don't even know what it's gonna hurt like hell. It's gonna hurt like hell it is. But hey, Tanner, I appreciate you. Man. I appreciate you. Pat. It's an honor, buddy. I don't love it. I don't love what just happened. <laughs> I won't even feel it. It's too cold to feel it. Tanner, Jesus, have a good one, buddy. Yeah, you too. Thank you. So one day I took my buddy, BBB's father, Big Balls Billy, we called him, and we were out. A bunch of young ladies came up. We were in college. Came up. Wanted autographs, signed stuff. One of them pulled his shirt down and Mr. Mueller signed it, them. Not all the way, but you know what I'm saying. And I think till the day Mr. Mueller passed away, that was the best day of his life. <laughs> I do. A lot of things get signed. Speaking of best days, ladies and gentlemen, we got hoops on in the morning and at 2 o'clock. We've got the U.S. men's national team, even if you don't care about the soccer. Even if you think soccer is boring, I'm telling you, the next 20 minutes of your life is going to be fun. It's me. It's Alex. He is from Cutter. I am from my basement in Indianapolis. You're going to have a lot of fun. Alexi Lawless joins me next. Live. No, not live. From Cutter. Oops. We'll be right back. Got to take a short break here. We are rolling with Don't At Me, and you don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, welcome back. It is an honor, particularly given that today the United States is getting ready to start the World Cup. Two o'clock, you can see it on Fox. And the legend, ladies and gentlemen, yes, you know him well as a stud soccer player. You know him as a broadcaster. But this is a man who has recorded at minimum eight albums that I could find. I'm not the best on the Internet, but I got eight albums to your credit. You got more? I mean, I just released one. It's called Melt Away for all three of my fans out there, including my mom. And uh, it's on all the different streaming platforms out there. Straight ahead, pop rock. And, uh, you know, you put it in your car, you turn it up loud, you put the windows down, you drive really fast. And, uh, you know, I keep doing it. It's a it's a labor of uh, of love. But I mean, what do you mean you can't use the Internet for to, to find a song? I mean, that's like the base base no. part of using the Internet. It's like going to, you know. 
Spotify or something. No, I always come up short. By the way, Alexi Lawless joins us. I didn't introduce our guest, but I don't think I have to. Like, I'll say to my wife, like, hey, I found all this. She goes, no, there's 20 more things. So I'm like, I don't want to shortchange you out of the number of albums. I was don't worry. I, I haven't even, I haven't even, you know, added them up yet. So, right. you know, it's a, it's a catalog, as uh, as, as we call all it. Right. So the catalog's out there on all the different uh, streaming platforms. Melt Away is the newest one. It's, uh, you know, uh, like I said, just some straight pop rock that uh, you and the kids can enjoy. There you go. Uh, look, you were just on the Persian Gulf. By the way, he is coming us to us from the World Cup in Qatar. You came up, you go, yeah, I just, you know, I was in the Persian Gulf. Have you, I, I was watching an interview with you. You obviously are one of the most traveled broadcasters in the country. You ever been on the Persian Gulf before? I've never been on the Persian Gulf. This is my third time back to uh, Qatar. I'm here in Doha, Qatar, home of the World Cup, which is upon us here in a matter of days. Sunday it kicks off. Um, so I've never been on a boat on the Persian Gulf. And so tonight, <laughs> the you know the powers that be out there took us out and uh, fed us and and uh, took us around. Just an incredible trip around the uh, the bay here. I mean this this city is is nuts in in the in the best possible way. It's like this. It's like this weird version of Vegas where that, you know, that undercurrent of uh, of danger that it, that that and dirt that kind of exists in Vegas. It doesn't exist here. And it's just they, they, they have so much money. And to be fair, they've they've spent it pretty well in terms of the architecture and uh, the opportunities here and the and the, just the, the, you know, the craziness that's going on here. But anyway, we're going to kick a ball here, have a. Uh, have a good time and broadcast the World Cup. And so I'm having a good time. I don't know when I'm going to get back to uh, Qatar, but like I said, third time that I've been here and it gets better each and time I get each and every time I come. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to get to the United States. Does no beer sales in the arenas. Does that affect or what effect? I mean, it affects everybody viscerally, right? Especially those of us that drink. I will say this all three times, including the current one here, I've been here for about a week. It has never, ever been a problem for me to have a drink in my hand anywhere uh, that I go. Yes, there are certain areas where they don't do it. And as you mentioned today, uh, evidently, we find out that it's not going to happen in the stadium. Now, you know, part of me, you know, the drinker in me says, you know, what the hell is that? You know, this is this is this is sports and you want to have a beer and you want to have a drink and do all that kind of stuff. And the other part of me says, Listen, I am a I am a stranger in a strange land. I am a guest over here, and they do things a little bit differently here. And like I said, if you want to drink, there's plenty of opportunities to drink. You're just not going to do it in the uh, stadium right now. But to come this late in the game is kind of a, a little bit strange when it comes to you know the sponsorships and the relationships, whether it's Budweiser or anybody else here. But I think we found something out when it comes to this World Cup is that nothing is normal. Everything is different. Everything is unique from when it's happening, where it's happening, the decisions that they are making. And who knows, even on the field, I, I'm going to bet that this World Cup is going to throw up some really, really strange, unique things because of all of that. Two o'clock, the United States goes against Wales. That's 10 o'clock uh, where you are at. Youngest team in the field is the United States. OK, what, what do you think we're going to see out of Team USA? I think we're going to see a team that is attempting to woo us to a certain extent. Uh, the U.S. men's national team didn't qualify for the last uh, World Cup. And in my estimation, that was the biggest failure in U.S. soccer history. They have qualified for this one. And so that, check that box. But they also recognize that they have to make us believe again. They have to make us have that 
that pride that we feel when any type of American team goes out there on the field and not just the scoreline, but how they go about getting that score. And the first game, like you mentioned, is a game, a game against Wales. 80% of the teams that win their first game in their group play, there's groups of four. So you have three games go on to the next round. And that's the first order of business for this team against Wales. We are a better team than Wales. Second game is against England. We are not a better team than England. Doesn't mean we can't beat England. And then the third game against Iran. I think we are a better team uh, than Iran. So that's a bunch of points out there and certainly the pathway to get out of the group and I don't want to I don't want to let this team off the hook. Yes, they're young, as you mentioned. Yes, they're inexperienced. They're, you know, young people, we do dumb stuff when we're young. We all do it, right? So they're going to do some dumb things, but they're also going to have that wonderful youthful swagger and that beautiful arrogance, and they don't know what they don't know, and I think they're going to use that to their advantage, and we should expect, you should expect, America should expect this team to get out of its group and not settle for less. Is this an athletic team? Is this a fast team? Is this an, you know, you can be young and really talented, and you get done things like what you're talking about. How talented is this team? How athletic? I mean, from an athletic perspective, we've always been kind of athletic. We've always kind of relied on that. I think what has been married now with that athleticism and that, you know, for lack of a better word, American spirit that I think is a hallmark and I hope never goes away is a technical ability that has increased. And these players have been groomed from a very young age to be professional soccer players. Very few of them have taken that traditional path that my generation took through college. And at a very young age, they were not only groomed, but they were given incredible resources in terms of coaching and facilities and pathways to big clubs and to big, uh, big leagues around the world. And so we got players like Christian Pulisic playing for Chelsea in England. We got players like Tyler Adams and Brendan Aronson playing for Leeds. We got guys like Weston McKinney playing for Juventus in, uh, in Italy. So these are some big teams. These are some big leagues. And once again, with that, so with all of that that we give them, we have higher expectations. And I don't think it's unfair for us to expect more, even though they are younger because of all that they were given from a very young age. You played in them. You've, you've been on the broadcast of them. You, you are, when people talk about soccer in the United States, you're pretty much the face of it. So let me ask you, you talk about expectations. What do they have to do to meet your expectations? Nobody else, yours. Right. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, the, the obscenity law, right? In the Supreme Court or whatever, right? You know, I don't, I can't define it, but I know it when I see it, right? And so, you know it when you see it. I, I get passionate. I get emotional sometimes about this, uh, about this game. And in particular, about this team, because this is a team that goes on the field and plays a game that is played all around the world. And as you know, it's also a game that relative to the rest of the world and the rest of the cultures around the world, we are coming at it from behind. We are not number one. Having said that, when I see that team take that field and, and you know, not just the you know, not just the responsibility, but the opportunity for these young players to go out there as a team and individually. And they put that shirt on, they put their hand over their heart and they sing that song and they represent what I feel is the greatest country in the world. I think I, I want to see and I want to feel that they are experiencing the same thing. And yes, there's the technical side and all that kind of stuff, but you're playing for your country. It's something that's really, really unique. It's not about how much you know the money that you make or how famous you are or who you're dating or how many social media uh, you know uh, likes you have it's about representing your country and you know in this in this time and in this era there's very few things that unite us as a country and i think that this world cup and in particular this team in just in a very short period right here can bring us together to celebrate this country through the eyes of soccer through the lens of soccer and through the world cup in a way that other things can't 
Well, let, let me get, let me piggyback on that then. So, is there is there a bit? Does America travel for the World Cup? Do the fans travel? Is this going to be? You know, are we going to see an explosion of patriotism uh, from the crowd through the Americans that are there? I mean, have you ever just started to chant USA? And when we start chanting USA, everybody, it's just, it's contagious, right? And I think people, they want to do that. And absolutely, they travel. There will be people, and we've already seen people and fans uh, that are here in Doha for, uh, you know, for the for the U.S. And these are kind of bucket list types of things to go uh, to go to World Cups. We have a wonderful soccer culture. We do not need to apologize for what we are or what we perceive we aren't. Uh, we, we, we have a culture that is passionate, that is uh, discerning, that is educated, that is emotional, um, and understands what the game is. And yes, it's growing. And look, I, I one of the things that I'm that I I remain concerned about is that as soccer people in the United States, you know, sometimes we can be asses. Sometimes we can be. <laughs> you know, unwelcoming. And that's the last thing in the world that I want to be or that we need soccer to be. And so whether it's you or anybody else out there, even if you don't know a damn thing about the game, I want to make sure that I am as inviting and, and as inclusive as I possibly can. And all of us, you know, when we're out there with Fox, we want to make sure that people are tuning in. I mean, we got a game against England on Black Friday. Everybody's home. I think everybody's going to tune into that game and, and the other games, but in particular, this game against England, our, uh, you know, our friends from England. And I want to make sure when they get there that they are they feel like they are part of this party because it is a party and I don't want to do anything ever that is a barrier to entry for anybody that want to want wants to come into the soccer tent because it is a warm tent it is a tent that is getting bigger and bigger and bigger and it's awesome once you get there you know um I want to go back to something I coached for a long time college basketball and so I think coaching is really important I don't understand soccer. I don't understand the the coaching in soccer. But I do understand this. When the United States loses, the coach gets fired just like every other freaking sport. So, So how are we relative to the rest of the world in our coaching? So we have Greg Berhalter. Uh, this is a guy who you know grew up in the United States, uh, went you know the college path, uh, and then became a professional. Uh, and I, I like him a lot. I got a lot of time for Greg Berhalter. He is a true believer. He is a romantic to a certain extent uh, in the in the way that he wants to play and the mandate that four years ago when he took the job, uh, you know he made very very public in that he wanted us not just to be more successful. But the way in which we play, he wanted us to change. And I think halfway through it, he he recognized that he, what he wanted to do and what he could do might be two very different things. And look, you, you you've been you've been around sports, you've coached, you understand that sometimes you have to be able to adjust and you have to be able to be flexible as a coach in terms of the things that you're doing day to day and your overall ethos and, and, and identity. And I think Greg Burhalter has done that. And it gets back to what we talked we were talking about in that I think he has implemented or reintroduced a little bit more of that grit and that um, that swagger and that rawness that has kind of defined the U.S. team, but then mixed it with a, a desire to be a little bit more expansive. And I think that that's going to result in a team that's more entertaining, but ultimately has to still be successful, like you said, because Greg Berhalter, for every all the success that he's had over the last couple of years with this team, and he has had success, He's going to be judged on the World Cup. It might not be right. It might not be fair, but that's the world. You know, life isn't fair and soccer isn't fair. Welcome to the world. 2014, Indianapolis closed the streets. 
when uh, I think it was against Germany. Uh, big day, World Cup. I'm doing shots. The whole thing is crazy. It's a great afternoon. And everybody knew the name Tim Howard, right? Tim Howard stood on his head. He's the guy. How are we fixed at goalie here? So and a really interesting story. We have a guy named Matt Turner, okay? And he was actually previously playing for the New England Revolution in Major League Soccer and then just got a transfer to Arsenal uh, over there in the Premier League, one of the great clubs in the world. Now, this is a guy that started playing soccer in his teenage years, and that's pretty late for any soccer player. And yet he just gravitated to it, and he has just gone step by step by step, and he is the number one goalkeeper, so much so that he took over the number one spot and the number two, if you will, now was actually left off in an effort to make sure that Matt Turner understands that he is the man. And he is a wonderful shot stopper. I think he's going to be called upon, like you said, maybe not in the way that Tim Howard was back in the previous uh, World Cup in uh, against uh, against Belgium. However, he is going to be called upon at different times to save his team and keep his team in games. And those saves, when you see them, while it might not be the, the 10 or the 12 saves that we uh, that we can see at times, it might just be that one save. And that's sometimes the hardest thing for a goalkeeper. Sometimes goalkeepers that just face shot after shot, you get into a rhythm. So sometimes the hardest thing for a goalkeeper is to have to save that one shot. Alexi, uh, all right. Uh, how important or unimportant? My guess is it's unimportant, but I've got people, I do a radio show in Indy and I'm talking World Cup and they're like, yeah, well, you know, they lost their last friendly to Japan. And I'm like, that's like spring training compared to where we're at right now. Am I wrong about that? Or did the Japan loss expose something? I mean, it's like rankings, right? You know, if the, you can you can spin them to whatever you want, and uh, so these are these are two games, the last two games, like you mentioned before the World Cup. Then they were played in some really strange circumstances, in that they played them over in Europe. They were in kind of these bubble esque type of things with no fans, uh, not great fields, and at a time when other teams were kind of having these send offs from their uh, from their country to kind of celebrate what was going on. It just was a very strange type of game. Now. That doesn't mean that it didn't bring out some uh, some problems, but I don't think that they were problems that Greg Berhalter and this team or the fan base didn't already uh, already recognize. I mean, this is not a perfect team by any stretch of the imagination. However, I think that they do understand what they are good at. They do have, again, uh, they have this feeling within them that they can do things that haven't been done before. And I I love to see. It. I'm look. I'm. I played back in the 1900s, back in the previous century, all right? And I, I, don't want, I don't want a grumpy old man any of this right now. But I want to see a team that says, screw you, old man, that says, I don't care what you were back then. We're going to do something the likes of which you and your generation didn't do and the likes of which we have never seen. That, for me, is progress, and that would warm the cockles of my redheaded American heart to see them do that. Handicap the field for me. All right, so your safe money is on Brazil and Argentina right now. Uh, you want to win a little, maybe a little bit more money? You're talking about probably a uh, you know like a Netherlands, maybe maybe in England, but they they always think that they are better than they are right now. A lot of people are talking about Denmark as a dark horse. It's kind of hard because they had a really good tournament a couple of years ago and they kind of came to the forefront. I mean, really kind of dark horse where you really want to win some money or are, are teams like Senegal. I like this uh, uh, this Serbia team to come through, but I. I do think that there's going to be some upsets. I do think there's going to be some strange things that happen. Lionel Messi in Argentina, this could be the last uh, World Cup that we see Messi play in as the last World Cup that we see Cristiano Ronaldo with Portugal play in. So some greats of the game trying to go out on top also. 
I feel like every time I turn my television on, uh, Ronaldo's in some kind of mess. Like he's going to leave a team. There, you know I, I know, mean? man. Save the drama for your mama, right? I mean, every time that's just crazy. So yeah, so he's in he's in all sorts of hot water right now. He went on Pierce Morgan the other day and just completely unloaded on everybody and their mother. And yes. you know his his team, Manchester United. I mean, there's no. It was this was like scorched earth. And don't think for a second it wasn't by design. But there's no way he's going back to Manchester United given. Uh, given what he did the problem is is who's who else is going to take him who else is going to pay him major league soccer is still out there who knows if that comes out comes out and i think for him he's back in that nice cocoon that is portugal but there's also pressure now that he has kind of created for himself because while he's having all this drama that's going on his arch rival or nemesis depending how you look at it messi is playing some of the best soccer that we have seen with an incredible team in Argentina right now. And so in this back and forth with people go between Messi and Ronaldo right now, it doesn't look good for Cristiano Ronaldo, but a World Cup is a wonderful place to completely turn narratives on their head. One says no chance. Ten says absolutely going to get it done. From one to ten, can the United States shock the world? You mean and win a World Cup? Yeah. Yeah. That's a, I would give you a for winning a World Cup, I'd give you a 3.78, okay, of chances, right? <laughs> What's the Russian uh, judge got? <laughs> right, exactly. So 3, 3.788 there. Uh, I don't think, I, and also we're looking to 2026 too with this team, and I don't want to look too far past 2022 but this like we said is a young team and so they're only going to get better and obviously 2026 we will be hosting with our friends to the north canada and our friends to the south mexico that's going to be that's going to be awesome but whatever happens in 2026 i think is going to be predicated on the results in 2022 i'm excited about this team i am naturally optimistic about things in life including this team and i hope that they prove me right this is this is the last thing before I let you go, and I wanted to talk to you about this. You're, this World Cup, correct me if I'm wrong, but everything is like 30 minutes away, right? You're talking about the next World Cup, Canada to Mexico and everywhere in between. This has got to be the most convenient World Cup in history. It's awesome. Um, if, uh, you know, listen, most, you know, whether it's a World Cup or an Olympics, you know, you have satellites, people are getting on planes, people are going different places. Everything is happening in Doha. It's a very small city. Um, it's kind of like like a Brigadoon, right? Uh, you know, and and or this this incredible magical soccer bubble that is happening. And all everybody, all the fans are in the same place, all the media in the same place. And, you know, I guess it could go either way. It could be like, you know, Woodstock, uh, you know, the original Woodstock, or it could be the Fire Festival, or I, you know, I don't know who the hell knows what, what it's going to ultimately be, but everybody is going to be grouped together. And so the players don't have to travel. We don't have to travel. I get to see the guys that are calling games right back at the bar at the end of the night at the hotel, and we can talk about what's uh, what's going on. By the way, wait till you see our set. Uh, it's right down on what's called the Corniche, which is right down on the water. We are blowing it out from a Fox perspective. I would love to live in our set. Uh, I wouldn't be able to afford it, but it is incredible. It is going to be one of the stars of the World Cup. It's going to be our Fox set. Unfair question, then I'm going to let you go. I, we know about Pelosic. Uh, is there an American that people in this country are going to be talking about after this World Cup? If so, who do you think it is? I think from a midfield perspective, you're looking at somebody like Eunice Musa. 
uh, young teenager, basically, uh, who has just come, you know, come on over the last couple of years. And I think really is going to be kind of a coming out party for him right here in the back. Big, tall center back uh, Walker Zimmerman, who plays it for uh, in Nashville in Major League Soccer. I think he is going to be called upon time and time again. We mentioned uh, Matt Turner over there and then young Gio Reyna, who is actually the son of Claudio Reyna, who was a former World Cup uh, uh, men's World Cup. Uh, and national team star. So it's amazing that, you know, I'm, I'm doing games now where the sons of my former teammates are now playing. So that makes me old. I just told my son, he was recruiting a kid. I go, Hey, I played against his grandfather, son of a, uh, it's great. Hey man. Uh, thank you so much. Two o'clock. Can't wait to watch you, man. This is fantastic. What a blast. Thank you. It's going to be fun. Thank you. Thank you. It's always a pleasure. Oh, what a great time with a legend, an absolute legend, Alexi Lawless. Go get his music. Go get the catalog. Go get all the songs. He just dropped one. World Cup is going to be a blast. Starts 2 o'clock today. We'll be right back. Hey, look, I got to tell you, I was fired up for the World Cup coming up at 2 o'clock today, the United States against Wales. I can't wait to watch it on Fox, but I'm even more fired up after talking to Alexi. There I am. Look, I don't know soccer, but I do know this. I know that's fun. Really fun. All right. If you ever doubted that the idiots on CNN and other medias say things just because they want to spread a narrative, look at this from my friend at Indy Spanglish, who, by the way, should be governor. Don Lemon doubles down after saying white men are the biggest terror threat to this country. Let's show the other one. What's Don Lemon doing? He's frolicking with his boyfriend, a white man, kissing his boyfriend, a white man, frolicking on the beach with their little puppies. But yes, ladies and gentlemen, according to this idiot, uh, white men are the biggest terror. Not my white man. No, 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 no. Not my, mine. Not mine. Yours. Him. Those guys. What a bunch of crap. I mean, I'm not even going to get into things statistically who are the biggest threats, but it ain't white men. I'm just going to tell you. But the point here is simply this. The point, I'd say the government is the biggest threat to our country, but I digress. All right. Anyway, but the point here is this. If you ever wonder, ever wonder if folks on CNN and other news outlets, let's be honest, say things simply because that's the narrative expected to be said. All you got to do is look no further. That's all you got to do. Look no further than that right there. Is America, or excuse me, America is under a threat by white men. But not my white man. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what a great day today. Tomorrow, Benetti joins us. The best play-by-play Caller in the country, Fox Basketball, Fox Sports, and he's a soccer guy as well. But we'll recap all the goings-on in the World Cup, whether you want to or not. Urban Meyer later on in the week getting you ready for Michigan, I think anyway, getting you ready for Michigan and Ohio State. It's Thanksgiving week, which means it's Feast Week on ESPN. So we'll be watching a bunch of hoops. Can somebody explain to me this? Look, John Mellencamp and other celebrities, I've had enough of you. I think we've all had enough of you. John Mellencamp yesterday at the Colts game, picture was taken of John Mellencamp not standing for the anthem while he sits in a luxury box 
eating popcorn. Oh, ain't that America for you and me? Ain't that America? Something to see, baby. Ain't that America? Home of the free. You are free to do that, John Mellencamp. God bless you. And we are free to criticize your un-American, unpatriotic backside. Apparently, that's a thing with Mellencamp. Whether he goes to, I don't know, games down at IU or other places, unless he feels a little bit of pressure, Mellencamp sits. I'm so tired of these celebrities. I've had enough. Swear to God, I've had enough. One of the great things about Mellencamp is he is the American story. He is the American dream. Seymour, Indiana is a great town. Had not one but two girlfriends from Seymour, Indiana. Unbelievable place. Love it. Great. It's where he's from. He rises from there, becomes a pop star, becomes a rock star, becomes a rock icon, and then becomes an un-American jackass. Shame on you, John Mellencamp. Everybody knows people are watching. You stand for the anthem. You set a good example, and I don't want to hear a damn thing about it. We'll see you tomorrow right here. Thanks to Dylan. Thanks to Aaron. Thanks to Davey. Thanks to Haley. Thanks to Ryan, who is very happy, by the way, that the Vowels lost. See you manana. USA! 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 That's right. That's right. See you.